0: Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to continue what we began last week, is a a study on a more effective prayer life. In the Gospel of Luke, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him like this: Lord, teach us to pray. And so the Lord said, What we read in Matthew chapter 6, as we look in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. So Jesus said. Amen. As we take a look at uh, what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, what we really come to know it as is our prayer, the model prayer for you and I. And if we want to have an effective prayer life, we want to have the kind of prayer life like we see of of John Knox when Mary, Queen of Scots said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe because he had an effective prayer life. If we want to have, if we want to experience that kind of an effective prayer life, then we need to kind of tear apart this prayer a little bit and take a look at it. You know, so often when you and I read a, a section of Scripture that we're familiar with, it's one we've heard a lot, we tend to read over it quick and say, oh, I know all that. And we forget what it means. We forget what it, what is being talked about. So we're going to go... All the way through verse ten today, as we take a look at this prayer, as we take a look, hopefully, at what the Lord has for us. And when we look at it, as we see the Lord's prayer begins, what I do? I'm gonna take this out of your way. Are you afraid I'm gonna fall? Yeah. I can surf, babe. I know. I can see it's messing up your mojo. There you go. Oh, I was gonna sit in that later. <laughs> there. Be free. Be free. It's it's the woman that God gave me. And she's good at it. Scripture declares in the beginning, Our Father who is in heaven. So in the beginning we see in this phrase, Our Father who is in heaven, that we see the relationship that we have with God. A key point in our prayer life is our relationship with God. That God is a relational God. He's a personal God. He's a loving God. In fact, David would describe the Lord this way in Psalm uh, 68.5. He said, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. It speaks of a personal and loving God. A God who cares about where you are, what's going on in your life. Throughout the Old Testament, there was this incredible deep reverence for God. And that's important because we need to remember in our understanding of what God is, who God is, what God wants for our life, we cannot lose that deep reverence of God. But at the same time, we need to understand that now God is a personal God. He's our God. He has a relationship with us. We will see in the scriptures in a moment that we've been adopted into his family. And we want to understand. We want to hold on to that. In Psalm 103 verse 13 it says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. That was one of my favorite verses. Because every time I messed up, I go back to that and say, I didn't surprise God. I didn't surprise him because he pities me because I fear the Lord. He has mercy on me because I fear him, and he knows I'm a dirt clod. What do you expect out of a dirt clod? when you get up in the morning you walk outside get in your driveway getting in the car and you see that little dirt clod on the ground you have a lot of expectations for that because that's what the psalmist is declaring he remembers our frame he knows we're just dust the dust that has been framed together yet this God loves us so intently he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have what? When does everlasting life begin? Right now. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have it now. It's not something you have to wait for. It's something we have. We have it. So dig in. Dig in. Get to know your Father in heaven. Get to know Almighty God and what He has for us. And He wants us in this phrase, this understanding of our Father who is in heaven... He wants us to grasp this idea that there's only room for one master. Does everybody understand that? There's only room for one father. Our father that's in heaven. And we have to be careful because you and I, we can become enslaved to brothers and sisters. Maybe you become enslaved to a a preacher you like on TV or somebody you like to listen to on the radio. And we start to elevate that person and we forget that that person is not our father in heaven. There is one master and that is him. In fact, Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 20. A few pages to the right. Matthew 20 verse 25. Jesus called them to himself, his disciples, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over others. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There is room for one Father. And I'm not him. And you're not him. He is him. And so if we want to be great among us, we want to find that rightful place in a relationship with our brothers and sisters. That rightful place is to learn to be a servant of all. Jesus, his kingdom is different than all other kingdoms. His kingdom is a kingdom of opposites. If you want to be great, be low. That's what Jesus would say. you want to find your life, lose it. Give it away to God and see what happens. See if you don't discover your life in a life surrendered to the Lord. There's only room for one Father. He is our Father. And not only that, He is our Father in heaven. Now, in Bible college, there's these fancy words. I'm going to teach you two fancy words. You can forget them if you want. But I'm going to teach them to you. They are the doctrine of imminence. Not eminent, eminence, which means that God is near. That's what we understand when we see He is our Father, our Father in heaven. God's near. He's the God of the universe, yet He's near to you and I. But He is our Father where? In heaven, that speaks of His transcendence. That means that He is high above you and I. That the God that deserves demands, should have, our deepest reverence has come near to us. We see that all in that phrase, our Father in heaven. His eminence, his, his desire to be near, and His transcendence, the fact that He's high above us. All of that we see in this phrase. And listen, if we want to enjoy a more effective prayer life, then we need to understand this. It depends on an ever-deepening relationship with the Father. Listen to that. An ever-deepening relationship with the Father. That we're coming to know who He is, how He's near to us, who He is, how He's transcendent, how He is high above. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But His ways are good. Because He's the God who came near. We want an ever-deepening relationship with Him. This means this, guys. When we worship the Father, when we know Him better through the Word, we spend time in God's Word, we fellowship with Him, we obey His will, and we're seeking to please Him. When we do those things, we're deepening our relationship with the Father. And as we deepen our relationship with the Father, don't you and I want to hear, in the end, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Don't you want to hear that from God? Don't you want to hear that from the Father? Yes. How do we hear that from the Father? By living a life for Him. Serving one Master. Focused on Him. Our eyes on Him. Our Father who is in heaven. But then we don't want to miss that first phrase. What was that first phrase? Our, Not mine. Our. Why does he lay out for us, our Father who art in heaven? Because when our relationship with God is deepening, our relationship with the brethren is growing stronger as well. When our relationship is right with the Father, then our relationship with the brethren is right as well. And who is the R? Is it everyone on the planet? Folks, the scripture would lay out for us that it's those who have been born again. What does that mean? In 1 Peter one twenty two, it says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. In fact, we talked a little bit about it in the song of the ABCs. What was it? For the kids, we called him Nicky. That's because Nicodemus is a little bit rough on a young one. Nicodemus came to the Lord. What is it that God said to him in John chapter 3, verse 3? He said to Nicodemus, Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us how we're born again. We read that, we just, we just recited that verse in John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave who? His only begotten Son. That whosoever does what? Amen. Believes in Him. Shall have what? Everlasting. Everlasting life. That's what it is to be born again. Born new. Born a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. In Romans chapter 8, listen to this. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by which you cry out, Abba, Father. That relationship with God occurs when we're born again. And then we become part of the family of God. We become our. When we go before the Lord for effective prayer, we need to realize we are not individuals anymore. We are part of a body. We are part of a, of a congregation. We are part of one another. That what affects one affects us all. When one of us stumbles and falls, it hurts all of us. When one is sick, we all bear that burden. When one is struggling, we all are to come alongside. It's our Father. And we want to have an effective prayer life, we got to remember that it's we're together in this thing. You get it? We're not on our own. We're together. Our Father who is in heaven. That fellowship that we have with the Father then spreads to the son. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 20 says if someone says I love God and, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. When our relationship is right with the Father, then that relationship spreads to the brethren, it spreads to them. And it's important that we understand that that's vital in our prayer life that our relationship not only is right with the Lord, but it's right. With our brothers and sisters. I cannot have an effective prayer life. If I have bitterness in my heart toward a brother. I will not have an effective prayer life. If I am harboring ill will toward another brother or sister. Who's part of the body of Christ. Because that's our father we're praying to. We're together. We're not individual. We're not left alone. So what is that like? Listen, there's a verse in 1 Timothy. (coughs) Excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, Paul writes, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What's that look like? It looks like Paul is is saying, I want men everywhere to, to, to come before the Lord in prayer and lift up their hands, but he says without wrath and doubting. Why does he say that? Because there are times... When we come up for the Lord in prayer and we lift up our hands to God and we remember that we got a brother or sister who has something against us. And what did Jesus tell us to do in Matthew chapter 5? He said, leave your sacrifice and your offering there. First be made reconciled to your brother. Then give your offering to me. What is God saying? Our relationship with other believers matters as much as offering an acceptable sacrifice to God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living. living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable act of worship. But the Lord says before you do that, don't even bother doing that until you have set that brother Or sister free. We want an effective prayer life don't we? Don't we want to be like John Knox where people were afraid when he started to pray. Because God moved in a powerful way. Why is there no moving within the body of Christ today? Why don't we see those things today? Perhaps part of the issue is. We're running around with a bunch of garbage in our heart. And God says, I won't receive your sacrifice until you are made right with your brother. Until you're made right with your sister. Until you forgive. Until you let go. Or maybe it looks like this in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, <coughs> the Lord says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Maybe a husband is sitting down and he's, he's seeking the Lord and he wants to hear something from the Lord. And while he's in that place, he remembers that he said something or did something and hurt his wife. What is God's word to us? Go and be reconciled. He says to give honor unto your wife as unto the weaker vessel. The best explanation to that I have ever heard is often men treat our wives like they're Tupperware. We reach in and grab a bowl. We eat cereal out of that bowl and we throw it from across the room into the sink. And we go three if we were far enough away. Right? Oh, it's in the sink. Right on. But sometimes we forget that our wives are made of China. And what happens when you take that cereal bowl, a China bowl, and you throw it across the room into the sink? When we treat our wives, we're supposed to treat them like China. We want to have an effective prayer life. Maybe part of the problem in that effective prayer life for husbands is that we're treating our wives like Tupperware. And God said... Your prayers will be hindered. I can't hear you until you treat your wife properly. Want to have an effective prayer life. I want to be like John Knox and those guys. And I got to take God's word for what it says. I got to have a right relationship with my wife. I have to have a right relationship with the brothers and sisters of the Lord i got to have a right relationship in all those directions if I want my prayers to be heard. If I want that effective prayer life. Scripture goes on to tell us, not only our Father in heaven, but it goes on to say, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. We see the whom... Of our prayer, that's the Father. We see the with whom of our prayer, that's us together, corporately, our Father. The why of prayer is this next phrase Why do you pray? So that you might glorify the name of God. Hallowed be your name. That's the purpose of prayer. To glorify His name. To glorify the name of God. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. We are to come before the Lord (coughs) and glorify His name. And God's name is glorified, folks, when people know Him. When people know his name, when they reverence his name, and when they magnify his name to an unbelieving world by trusting and believing that God's going to work in you and me and through us. That's how we hallow the name of God. So what is his name? Yahweh, Yahweh. Yehovah. We're pretty sure it's not Jehovah because there's no J in Hebrew. But Yehovah it could be. Why is there a question about the name of God? Because it's four consonants. Y-H-W-H. How are you going to say it? Impronounceable name of God. What does it mean? To be, being, or to become. Remember when Moses asked the Lord, Lord, who shall I say is sending me to the people to deliver them? God said, tell them I am that I am. Now, the question I would ask is, I am what? What are you, Lord? But you see, every other name of God that we read in the Scriptures describes what God does. But this name, the Yahweh, it describes who He is. So if I want to honor His name, (coughs) I have to know His name. I want to know who He is. I want to know who he is in reality, who he is completely. In John 1.18, this is what the scripture says. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known to us. Way back in Exodus, he said to Moses, I am that I am. Jesus came in the Gospel of John and declared, I am what? He gave us. He fleshed out who God is. He manifested who God is, what God's about. He shows us. He is God in the flesh, a God we can see, a God that we can relate with, that we can touch, that we can know. In John 17, 6, he said, I have manifested your name. To the men whom you have given me out of the world, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. John 17, 26, he goes on. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. So what did Jesus do? He came and he said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said, I am the true vine. And we are what? The branches. Attached. Abiding. In Christ Jesus. God the Son reveals the name of God to you and I. We want to know his name. It's manifested through Jesus Christ. We see it in Jesus Christ. In Isaiah, <coughs> excuse me, in Isaiah forty-five twenty-three, this is what God said. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will take an oath. Who's speaking? The Almighty Father, Yahweh, When we take a look at Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11, this is what is declared to us. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What God was speaking of in Isaiah 45, Jesus fulfills in his ministry as God the Son. God the Father is revealed. His name is known through God the Son. His name is Jesus. Do you know there's power in that name? I can tell you how I know there's power in that name. Because everybody who stubs a toe or hits their thumb with a hammer says it. (laughs) Why do they say it? Nobody ever says Buddha, Abraham, Ahmed, Muhammad. What do they say? Jesus. Why? Because there's power in the name. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. But what is it that we need to grasp from this? If we know his name, what's the next thing we're supposed to do? Revere it. Give reverence to the name of Jesus Christ. Give reverence to his name. Hallowed be your name. May your name be glorified, may your name be magnified, may it be revered. Not a curse word, not a byword, but in truth an honored name of Almighty God who came and died for our sin, that we would reverence His name. Psalm 8, one says, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Who has set your glory above all the heavens? The psalmist understood how to give reverence to the name. The psalmist also wrote in uh, Psalm 72, 19, Blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. We want to have an effective prayer life. We have to learn to give reverence to the name of Jesus Christ. Give reverence to the name of God. The first part of the prayer after our Father in heaven is what? hallowed be your name. May you be glorified. May you be known. May you be revered or be given reverence. May you be magnified. You see, that's the attitude of effective prayer. That the point, the reason where we're coming to the Lord is that He might be glorified. I'll never forget when... <coughs> my, <coughs> You know... What do I got? Bronchitis? It's driving me crazy. Um, Anyhow, you can throw it to me. I'll drink it. I got one behind me, though. Well, you've been coming up so much today, you might as well give me some water. I love you, honey. You're so good to me. I don't deserve it at all. We want to, again, learn to magnify the mighty name of God. We want to magnify it then. We need to understand when we come before the Lord in effective prayer, effective prayer is always going to have that attitude of worship attached to it. That attitude of worship, worshiping God, worshiping the name of God, who God is, what God does, how he moves, how he's worked in our life. <clears throat> Again, the psalmist would say, in Psalm 141, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. We come before the Lord to magnify His name, to give Him worship, to establish that worship of the Lord, to come before Him, and lift our hands to Him, and to honor His name. And as we do that, as we desire that place, that rightful <clears throat> relationship with him, then we will have an effective prayer life. Think about this. In the Old Testament, there were these 12 knuckleheads. They were spies sent into the land. Well, actually, only 10 of them were knuckleheads. Because 10 of them went out and they were to see the land. Go look at the land. Come back, Moses said, and tell me how good it is. So they went out and they looked and they came back and they said, Moses, man, truly, this is an awesome land. We got big old beefy... <coughs> uh, of grapevines out there. Just huge grapes. They actually strung them between them. There was so much fruitfulness in a land. And they said, truly, it's fruitful, but there's giants. And we are but grasshoppers in their sight. What's their problem? They're not magnifying the name of the Lord. Because if you lift your eyes up a little higher than that giant, you lift your eyes up to the heavens. I lift my eyes up to the mountain. From whence does my help come from? My help comes from you, Lord, creator of the heavens and the earth. Two of the spies saw God. Ten of them saw giants. You want to have an effective prayer life? You have to hallow his name. Magnify his name. Give reverence. To his name. There was 3,000 men in an army all strapped for battle. They had armor and swords and everything they needed. And there was one giant and that was all they could see. 16 year old boy shows up. Walks in. Hears that giant cursing the Lord and says, what are you guys doing? Who did he see? I lift my eyes up. From where does my help come from? My help comes from you, creator of the heavens and the earth. David saw God. Everyone else saw Goliath. You want to have an effective prayer life, you have to hallow the name of the Lord. You can see your illness, your sickness, your pain, your suffering, or you can see God. But the only way you're going to see Him is to magnify His name. In worship. Put your eyes on Him and take your eyes off the storm. He is able to say, peace be still. We have to learn to trust in the heart of God. So that first request, that first call is so that you and I would magnify his name. Psalm 27 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Where's your trust? You trusting in money? Big retirement account, that big house or bigger barns or the next harvest. You can trust in all those things. But your trust is misplaced if you're not trusting in the Lord God Almighty. Hallow His name. The next phrase says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. There was a time in Israel's life when God was their king. In 1 Samuel around chapter 8, Israel decides that they don't want to have God as their king. They want to be just like the world, and nobody else in the world had God as their king. So we don't want to have God as our king, we want to pick our own king. Israel rejected God as king. In fact, when we do a careful study of it, we'll we'll understand that Israel rejected God, Israel rejected the Son, Israel rejected the Holy Spirit, and they were cast out of the land. But God will keep His promise to the nation of Israel. See, He promises when He comes back to set up His kingdom, He'll bring them back. He'll bring them back into the land. As we look at Scripture, in 1 Peter (coughs) 2.9, it says to you and I, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people that you... Just works out that way sometimes. (laughs) I'm not sure how to spell that. We'll transcribe it later. Let's try it again. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness... And into his marvelous light. The question for you and I is. God wanted the nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests. That followed him. Is God your king? Is he your king? Does he rule and reign? Do you really? Can you really say your kingdom come? Because in order to say your kingdom come. He's got to be your king. Is he your king? Is he the one you want to follow? Is he the one you are are putting your hope and trust in, because Israel rejected Him. In 1 Samuel 8, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected Me, that I should not reign over them. Israel rejected the Son. John nineteen fifteen. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, will I crucify your king? And the chief priest said, we have no king but Caesar. And they rejected the Holy Spirit. At Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the lives of the disciples. They waited and prayed for 40 days. They sat there and and sought the Lord. and, And the Lord finally poured out His Spirit upon them. They went out to Turn the world upside right. Well, the world said that they turned it upside down. But really, they turned it upside right. It's upside down already. And then from that point all the way to Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, was brought before the same Sanhedrin that crucified Christ, Stephen began to to teach a, a great sermon to the people. Listen to what Stephen said in verse 51 of Acts 7. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, you do now. Israel lost any type of an effective prayer life. Any kind of an effective prayer life because they rejected God as king. If we want to have an effective prayer life, then we need to realize when we pray, your kingdom come. If my allegiance is to this world, I'm a hypocrite. If I want to be real, my allegiance has got to be to him. To the Lord. To the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. to To the God of very God's. The next thing we have to ask ourselves, not only is God your king, listen very carefully, do you long for his kingdom? I mean, do you ache for his kingdom? Because the disciples, when they, when they were praying <coughs> and they were spending time with the Lord and he was crucified and, and resurrected and went to heaven and they couldn't have him anymore, don't you think they longed to see him? They long to have a meal with him. They long to talk with him. They long for his kingdom to come. Do you long for his kingdom? Do you long for the true return of the king? Do you desire to see him return? Because when we look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, the end of every single chapter is an encouragement to be watching and waiting for the return of Jesus Christ to be looking for him to have our eyes to him in fact in the first one we're to turn away from the world and serve only one master and wait eagerly for his return first Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1:9 for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. Are you eagerly waiting for him? You turn away from the world. If you want to say, I'm waiting for Jesus, you turn away from the world and you turn to him. And you watch eagerly, expectantly, as one waits for his most beloved Eagerly waiting. He also goes on in 1 Thessalonians 2 to say we're to watch with joy. If we want to say I'm, I'm really longing for his kingdom. I'm longing for his return. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 For what is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Is it not that we one day will all be together with him? And all this garbage is over. Do you long for the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Because when we come to that prayer and we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Do you long for his kingdom? Is he your king? Is he the one whom you serve? Chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. He calls us to walk in love and holiness. He says in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. and May the Lord make you to increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Do you long for the return of Jesus? Do you long for His kingdom? If you long for His kingdom, then you're going to walk in love and you're going to walk in holiness. In fact, the Scripture says in 2 Timothy 4.8, Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who love His appearing. Do you love His appearing? Because if you love His appearing... You're going to live your life walking in love and holiness. Why? Because we don't know when he's coming. So how will I make sure to be found doing what I ought to be doing? I'll walk in love and holiness. Period. Be who you are to be. Stop play acting and trying to say, Well, the day Jesus comes, I'll pretend. It's too late to pretend. Besides, you can't trick Jesus. He knows the truth of your heart, your actions, what you do, who you are inside. So if we really want to see his kingdom come, we walk in love and holiness. And then he gives us this encouragement in 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Here's the encouragement that God's giving. The encouragement is not look for the ability to be delivered from all your burdens and battles. The encouragement is one day Jesus will return and you will see him face to face. So keep working keep warring, keep fighting until that day. It will be worth it. Keep going. There's no easy way out. Moses had battles all the way to the day he died. So let's get outside of that idea, that concept, and let's just get after it. Be who we're supposed to be until the return of the Lord. And when he comes... We won't be disappointed that we lived our life looking for him. Listen, I don't care who the Antichrist is. I don't care if he's here. I don't care if he's not here. I don't care what he does. I don't care about him at all. Zero. I care about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm looking for him. I'm not going to waste my time wondering who the Antichrist is. Don't care. The Bible never says study diligently to see who the Antichrist is. Who cares who he is? I'm looking for Jesus Christ. I'm listening for a trumpet. I'm looking for his return. That's how I'm going to live my life. So I'm going to walk in love. And I'm going to walk in holiness. Because I truly desire to see his kingdom come. (coughs) Finally he asks for us to live sanctified and set apart. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ be sanctified and set apart god does that work we just got to abide in him there's not something we got to trump up we just got to abide in him we already said he's divine and we're what try it again he's divine vine and we're what so i've been teaching vbs all week i can get jumping up and down He's the vine, we're the branches. If we're attached to Him, then we are sanctified. Because He, amen brother. Because He makes us righteous. He makes us righteous. He makes us holy. So, we want to pray. We want to desire His kingdom to come. Finally, as we we close this idea, eagerly wait for Him, longing for the return of the King. Philippians 3.20 For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who wrote that? Paul. How long ago? 2,000 years ago. What was he doing with his life? He was living his life, doing what? Eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. I don't care about your theology or any of your concepts That's what the word says. How did he live his life? Eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. How should we walk? Eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Your kingdom come. But then he goes on. Oh, I know. You thought I was done. I don't have much longer. He goes on to say this. Your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, a lot of times we're afraid of God's will. Are you afraid of God's will? A lot of people are afraid of God's will. They almost have this defeatist attitude when they pray. They're praying for someone (laughs) to be healed. And they feel like they got to throw the claws in if it's your will. It's like we're afraid to say... I'm going to pray. I want to pray according to your will, God. Why? Why are we praying so that God's glorified? Right. So He's either going to be glorified in your healing, or He's going to be glorified in God taking you home. Either way, God is glorified. I don't have to be afraid of the will of God. Listen, some people think the will of God comes out of His His. I don't know what His the bad part of God. You know, how many people you hear say, "Uh, well, I'm afraid that if I really." Trust and, and say I'll do whatever God's will is he's going to send me to the deepest darkest jungles of Africa and tigers will eat me that's not the will of God folks Psalm 33 11 says the will of God comes from his heart he goes on to say in Jeremiah 29 11 I know the thoughts that I have toward you thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope We don't have to be afraid of the will of God. But at creation, there was only one will on earth. Right? From creation to the fall, one will, God's. Then there's the fall and and the devil's will got in the way and man's will got in the way and the flesh and all that garbage that we battle with today, it all came in. So when we pray... First, we come before the Lord and hallow his name. Then we say, I want to see your kingdom. I want to see you. And then we go on to say, as we're worshiping and proclaiming his name now, I'm presenting myself to you as a tool to do your will here. So let me do your will. How's God's will going to be done on earth? He uses us, folks. There's no, well, he's just going to have to do it himself. No, he's going to use us. So this is our opportunity to, to give ourselves to God in service. To say, Lord, here I am, like Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, in his train filled the temple the holiness of God, the mag- just like we're praying, the majesty, the magnifying of God's name, the hallowing of his name, the desire to see God's kingdom come. And then God said, who will go for us? And what did Isaiah say? Here I am. Send me. I'll go. I'll do. Are you ready to pray honestly that concept? Your will be done. Here I am, Lord, presenting myself to you. I want you to work in my life. Jesus said also that his food was to do the will of God. What does that mean? God's will is our nourishment, not our punishment. Do you understand that? God's will is our nourishment. It's where we find nourishment, not where God beats us and makes us do things that we hate. That's not what it is. His nourishment, it's nourishing us. It's, It's providing us with what we need. And then I love this that Jesus had to say, and here's where we'll wind up. Don't panic. It's not 12 yet. (laughs) In Matthew 11, one of my favorite verses, and one day I'm going to have this out there in the foyer on the wall. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Jesus asks us to do three things. That I think kind of sum up the will of God. He said come. Come unto me. All you who are labor and are heavy laden. Anybody here who doesn't work or isn't tired? Yeah. Yeah. I think that covers us, right? Come unto me. And what's he promise? Rest. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Then not only does he say, come unto me. Then he says, take. Take. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke. What does that mean? We think, oh, great. You know, I give myself to God and he puts this big burly wood thing around my head. And straps me to an oxen. And I'm, and I'm going to be pulling a cart for the rest of my life. No. Who are we yoked to? We're yoked to Jesus Christ. He said, take whose yoke? My yoke upon you. So what does that mean? That he walks with us. That doesn't mean God doesn't put you in the furnace. What does it mean? If you're in the furnace, where's God? He's with you. If you're sick, where's God? He's with you. If you're struggling in finances, where's God? He's with you. Why? Because if you have come unto him and received that rest from Jesus Christ, and you take his yoke upon you, he goes with you wherever you are. At the end of the book of Matthew, you know what God says? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's the last thing he says? Learn from me. He says, learn from me. What's he want us to learn? He says, learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And what happens? And you will find rest for your soul. He says, learn from me. Walk with me. Learn about me. Learn who I am. Learn what I'm about. And you're going to find ever deepening rest as you learn that God loves you. You learn about God's love and you learn about God's grace folks I want to I see an effective prayer life not just me and for all of us I want to see a real prayer life where the church prays and things happen Amen. but this is what Jesus told us to do he lays it out for us we're pretty much halfway so next Sunday we'll do the rest But the idea, guys, the idea, listen, it's our father. We're together and and he has a relationship with us and we have a relationship with each other that matters. And we want to glorify his name. And I don't want to be like Israel where the glory departed. Maybe for some of us, the glory is not in our house anymore. Maybe there's a bunch of garbage and trash in our house and we think it's okay. Hallowed be your name. Are we hallowing the name of God? Your kingdom come. Man, is he our king? And are we looking for him earnestly? Do we live our life desiring to see him every day? Your kingdom come. And are you afraid of his will? Because his will is where we hit the ground running, his his will is where the work happens, his will is where the magic is. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for an opportunity to study your word. We thank you for an opportunity to dive in. God, it is our desire to see an effective prayer life. It's our desire to see prayers that, that change things. And Lord, we're out of whack. We want to know what's going on in the church. The church has got decay within it. The church has got all this junk going on, but we're supposed to be salt. It stops decay. We're supposed to be light. It drives out the darkness. Yes. If we're going to be those things, Lord, we've got to learn to pray. You are our Father. You are high above us and you deserve our reverence. Yes. And we are together, God. We can't come before you in prayer if we're all messed up here. If we're upset with one another, if we're warring with one another. God, you've got you to help us make that right, Lord. Help us repent. Help us change. That we might truly hallow your name. Glorify who you are. For you deserve all the honor and glory, Lord. And your glory should be in this house. And your glory should be in my house. May your glory be in this church. God, may you be glorified by what we do. And Lord God, more than anything else, I want to see your face. More than anything else, Lord, I want to see you. I want your kingdom to come. I want to end all this junk, all this garbage, all these broken hearts and broken lives. I want to end to the enemy's reign and the beginning of your reign. So God, may your kingdom come. And I want to do your will on earth like it's done in heaven. So wherever you need to send me, whatever you need to do, wherever I need to go, I will go. I will do. I will love. I will be what you call me to be. God, it is our prayer that the rushing wind would blow through this temple again. Drive out the dust and the garbage and the dead bodies that are within and bring your life that our prayers would not be hindered, but that they would be vital. So we seek to honor you and glorify you in all we do in Jesus name we pray amen we're